Thank you, Shauna. Good morning, Woodland Hills Church. Sometimes folks who come from liturgical backgrounds ask why we don't do a little, little more liturgy around here. And uh, there's an old liturgical tradition that on Easter morning, the pastor announces to the congregation, Christ is risen, and the congregation responds, he is risen indeed. So let's give it a go. Christ is risen. No, you got to say it like you mean it. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. See, we are liturgical. My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And as Shauna said, we're delighted that you're here. It's just a joy to be with God's people and to worship together, celebrate together, and um, proclaim his resurrection. I always say that Woodland Hills is a smart church. I believe that. And because we're a smart church, that's a little arrogant, I suppose, a little bit. But um, uh, we're not afraid of foreign languages, right? Like, we, we deal with Hebrew sometimes. We get into some Greek, you know. We want people to walk out of here smarter than when they came. So this morning, we're going to learn, learn a little bit of German, all right? All right, yeah, some Deutsch. Sprachen Sie Deutsch. The title of this message is Sehnsucht, Sehnsucht, which is usually translated longing, but it's a certain kind of longing. It's, not, it, it's different than Furlanger or Wunsch in German, which is simply a desire or a, a want of something. Uh, Sehnsucht refers to, or at least it can in some context, refer to a kind of longing for something that's indefinable, something that's just out of reach, something even can have a transcendent quality to it, the longing for the transcendent. And I'm going to speak about Sehnsucht. And to do that, I want to talk a little bit about one of Jesus' most famous stories. It's the story of the prodigal son. And by the way, you, you won't really pick up that this is an Easter message for about 20 minutes, so just hang with me here, okay? This is a story of the guy who, you know, just can't wait for his father to die get the, to get his inheritance. He wants his inheritance now. Uh, the dad gives it to him. He goes off into a country and parties and squanders the whole thing. And that brings us to verse 14 of Luke chapter 15. After this uh, young man had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs which for a Jewish lad would be about the most humiliating occupation you can imagine. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he realizes that he'd just been sort of insane up to this point. What was I thinking? When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm an idiot. I will sell, I will set out and go back to my father, which is what you do when you come to your senses. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I just thank you for every person in this congregation here this morning and for every person who's listening through podcasts and every person who's uh, watching on television or giving this message in any other way. I, I thank you, Lord, that, that uh, they're here. I pray, Lord, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would infuse this message with your resurrection power. Our trust is not in any human words or speech or performances, but in you and only in you. So, Lord, will you just come down and envelop yourself around this message and open up our ears and open up our hearts to receive it deeply. Especially, Lord, for those who maybe right now aren't in a relationship with you. Whatever their beliefs may be, their life isn't reflective of your desires and your will and your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'd use this message to pull them in completely into your family, into your kingdom, into your saving grace. 
In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. This guy was exiled from his home. And uh, he began to feel the pain of that exile with his hunger and humiliation of having to feed pigs. And the cold world that he was a part of where no one gave him anything to eat. And he finally came to his senses, woke up. When he came to his senses, he longed to go home and makes his way towards his father's house to quickly find out that the father had been waiting for him all the while, looking for him all the while, and was, came running down the street to greet him. We are all in something like that sort of situation. It's part of what Jesus is getting at with this parable. We're all in exile. And we all feel that on some level. We pretend that we're not. We pretend that we don't feel alienated. But if we're honest, there are times where we, like this prodigal son, feel the pain of being in exile. It gets expressed in a lot of different ways. See if you can relate to this. When I was 19, I was driving home from work. I had worked a night shift at a home for severely mentally challenged children. That's what I did all through college. And so I, I, I did this night shift. I'm driving home about 5.30 in the morning. There's this beautiful sunrise uh, creating this really beautiful violet hue in the clouds. And I'm driving to Cottage Grove where I lived. I'm on Highway 61. And in between Newport and Cottage Grove, there's all these woods on the side. We used to call this, uh, they go up a hill. We used to call it Camel's Hump when I was a kid. And we go backpacking there sometimes and we built a little fort out there. And later on, I'd go jogging back there. I was really fond of that area. And I'm looking at these trees uh, going up the hill, and the way that they're reflecting this, this, this sun and the violet hues in the clouds, it was just a beautiful, beautiful scene. I was also at 5.30 in the morning on this particular day listening to the Moody Blues, feeling a little guilty because I was part of a church, a very legalistic church at this point that forbid listening to rock music, but I was always a rebel. So I'm listening to the Moody Blues. Any church that tells you that the Moody Blues is bad has got to have something going wrong with it. So I'm listening to the Moody Blues, and the song, as, right as I'm passing these trees on Highway 61, the song Tuesday Afternoon comes on. You know that song? And one uh, of the lyrics go like this. Something calls to me. The trees are drawing me near. I've got to find out why. Those gentle voices I hear. Explain it all with a sigh. They do it a little better than I do, I suppose. But I'm listening to this and, and seeing the scenery, and it was as if something was calling me through the trees. The trees were drawing me near. And there was a sigh. I wasn't explaining it, but there was a sigh that was calling me, a gentle sigh, like, ah. So I stopped the car, got out, and ran over to the woods. Um, and, uh, and just sat myself down in the woods for about an hour. Now, I was actually a little disappointed because I thought that I was going to have some kind of euphoric religious experience or something, some kind of mystical something or other, and nothing happened. I just felt more of that longing. But that's what Zinsukt is. It's, it's a, this longing for something, but we just don't know what it is. We don't have a word for it in English. That's why I'm talking German this Easter morning. We don't even talk about this, but I think it's a fairly universal experience. Certain scenes, certain images, you know, it can be a fragrance. It evokes something in us that is a yearning for something indefinable. Zinsukt. For me, uh, scenes, there's a particular scene that just always does this. It's, it, it's a, 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 an evening, a, a snowy evening. 
where the, where the moon is maybe, uh, you know, the, the, the snow is reflecting the moonlight. A scene like this. Uh, these first two images are, are from the artwork of Ron uh, Kluse. And that kind of scene, it's just something with Violet I, that, that, that always kind of does this to me. But it's as if I remember the place. It's like a memory. It's a, a haunting memory. But I was never there. But it feels like a memory. In some ways, it feels like I'm at home. But and I have the comfort of that. But I, yet, I'm not home. So it's kind of disturbing. Here's another scene. Now, some people may look at that and just say, oh, gosh, that just looks cold. But to me, it's got this sort of... It, it, it just... It just there's a kind of melancholy mixed up with the feeling, uh, and yet there's a beauty to it. And I want to be there. It's something calling to me, a memory. I can't quite get my hand on it. It's just out of reach. Sunsets often do this to me, especially when they're over oceans. I love on vacation going and just looking out over the ocean. There's something about the horizonless ocean that just evokes a feeling of infinitude, and I long for it. And when the sun is setting, it just brings a kind of a, a, almost a sadness to it. It, it makes me want to, this is going to sound a little weird, I suppose, but I want to like jump on the sun and ride it over the horizon to the other side because there's a sense if I could just get over there, just get over the horizon, well, then that longing would be fulfilled. Of course, that's a silly uh, kind of ambition to have, but that's the feeling I have. There's a longing there, zinsukt. It evokes zinsukt in me. The fall always does. Or, or when rays break through the clouds, uh, sun rays, uh, on certain days, when there's a certain mood, uh, it just, it's like the transcendent is breaking through my otherwise closed and mundane world. And there's something about it where I, 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 uh, I almost want to like get in the light beams and, and like get beamed up. You know, <laughs> Jesus, beam me up. Um, and there's like a warmth there. If I could just get on the other side of the clouds, there's something there that, that would fulfill this longing. I, I, it's like a... It's like a desire to be reunited with someone that you love. Zinsukt, longing to just, ah, something transcendent there. And then fall always does this to me. I always get a little bit kind of melancholic, reflective during the fall season. Something about the change of the leaves, the beauty of it, and yet it's all about death. And so there's a kind of a melancholy, a sadness there, and yet it's so beautiful. And the crispness of the air course, here in Minnesota, we just know that January is coming, so that's reason enough to be sad. But, but this goes beyond that. This is a longing for something. Certain sounds do this to me as well. When I hear the sound of the wind uh, going through evergreens, that it, it, it just creates something in me. Or the rustling of the leaves. It's like a, it's like a language I can't quite decode. Or a song I can't quite place. A memory I can't quite get clear on. Something is there, but it's just out of reach. It evokes zingsukt in me. Some music does this as well. Uh, I, I uh, love uh, classical music, and when it's in like a minor key, it just sort of evokes this in me. Claire uh, de Lune by Claude WC, or, or uh, his, his work Reverie does that. It just creates this hunger inside of me. Rachmaninoff's theme from Paganini. Or gentle Celtic music. Or sad, uh, a sad violin, a weeping violin does that. Sometimes even Gregorian chants do that. It sometimes feels like I'm so close. When I, I surrender myself over to the music, I get so close to something. It's so real and it's so beautiful. And if only I could get there, it would be so fulfilling. But it's like I can never quite get on the inside of it. 
It's like being separated from a loved one. Zinsucht. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, are you sitting there saying, what is wrong with him? Now you have that, don't you? I think, it's a, I think it's one of the most profound aspects of being human. This, when, when there's certain things, and, and it's different for different people. It can be a fragrance, can be music, can be reading literature or, or, or you know, mythology or whatever, but there are moments when it just seems you're being pulled to this indefinable thing that's not of this world. It's really hard to explain the, the experience of Zingsucht if you're a materialist. If you believe that all that exists is, is matter, it's really hard to account for this experience. I have no trouble believing that God could use something like evolution to create human beings. He can use whatever process he wants. That's not a problem for me. But the idea that we just evolved by time and chance through natural processes strikes me as an unbelievable claim. For a lot of reasons, but not least of which is, how do you explain Zinsucht? How is it? If we are just the products of nature, wouldn't the world feel natural to us? Well, wouldn't our, our, all of our hungers be met? We'd be at home in this world, but we're not. Something calls us beyond. Something points us in a different direction. I could never understand how we have this longing, zingsuk, to have meaning and purpose if we're not created by a purposeful God. Or I have this longing for good to overcome evil if ultimately there is no morality. And how do we have this hunger and thirst for something that the world cannot supply if we're just products of the natural world? It just doesn't make sense. Some people try to explain zinsukt by saying, well, it's just a longing for the innocence of childhood. Or it's a memory from childhood that we're fond of and we want to get back there. It's kind of a nostalgia. And there's some truth to that. Most of the scenes that I... Uh, that evokes zingsukt in me, I associate, associate them with something in childhood. The snowy evening, for example. I, I, uh, I remember a time when I was a child looking out my backyard in Lansing, Michigan, about five years old, and seeing the moon uh, light uh, glisten off the snow, and it was like a magical moment. So there's some truth to this, but I don't think it captures the fullness of the experience. No one wrote more about this experience or more profoundly about this experience, so far as I know, uh, than C.S. Lewis as he did on so many other topics. And trying to explain Zinsuk, he didn't call it that, he called it a mystical longing. But uh, in trying to explain that, he says this in his book, Weight of Glory. Our commonest expedient in explaining this is to call it beauty and behave as if that settled the matter. Oh, that's just beautiful. But all you've done is given a, a new label to the experience. Wordsworth's ex expedient was to identify it with certain moments in his own past. But all of this, C.S. Lewis says, is a cheat. If Woodsworth had gone back to those moments in the past, he would not have found the thing itself, listen to this, but only the reminder of it. What he remembered would turn out to be itself a remembering. When I go back to that childhood experience of looking at the snow out of my window on that one evening, it was magical, but it wasn't because it was uh, uh, fulfilling. What, the reason I remember that is because that was my first experience of the Zingzucht I'm experiencing now. But I'm not longing for that particular experience. I'm longing for what that experience was remembering or longing for. C.S. Lewis is right. And then he continues. The books are the music in which we thought the beauty was located. However it is that this comes to you, it will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. The beauty was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing, zinsukt. These things, the beauty, the memory of our past, are good images of what we really desire, 
But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn out to be dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself. And it goes on. Our lifelong nostalgia, this is what he calls it. I remember that. It evokes like a memory. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off. To be on the inside, I love this metaphor, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our situation. Zingsucht, longing for something that's just out of reach, just around the corner, the memory you just can't quite get clear on. That is the truest intuition we have about the way the world actually is why we need to pay attention to it. Jesus' parable of the prodigal son is on one level his explanation for Zinsukt. This guy got tired of being under his father, wanted his father dead, got the inheritance, went off, squandered it, ends up at the bottom, comes to his senses and says, I need to head back home, only to find the father has been waiting for him the whole time and runs towards him and embraces him in love. This C.S. Lewis says, and I think he's absolutely right, this is the situation for every one of us. We are the prodigal son. We are in exile. And the longings uh, that we have, the Zingzuk experience, is a reminder of that. It's a reminder that something is off here. According to the Bible, we are all in exile. We've all left our father. We've all broken the father's heart. We've all squandered our inheritance. This earth that we were entrusted with. We've made a pigsty out of everything. That's why everything is screwed up. Have you noticed that? On some level, everything and everyone is screwed up. I'm screwed up. I know you already knew that, but I'm just telling you. You're screwed up. Your mama's screwed up. Your daddy's screwed up. And their mom and dad are screwed up too. The whole family is to some degree screwed up. I don't care how wonderful it may be. And you're going to be celebrating that in a few hours. But (laughs) only this church would clap for a preacher saying that. So visiting relatives, do not go back and say, oh, the preacher told us that we're all screwed up. <laughs> Unless you're willing to explain yourself. Yeah, but nothing works right. We keep trying to fix it, but it keeps getting more broken. Society is, in various ways, screwed up. Government is, in various ways, screwed up. We keep on thinking, if only we could fix this, if only we did this, pass this, legislation, whatever. But it's always going to be screwed up until the Lord comes back. Nations are screwed up. Our nation's screwed up. All the nations are screwed up. It's a mess. We've made a mess of things. We're in exile. We're in exile. And it's not just human beings. Nature. Nature isn't the way God created it to be. That's why you can look around the world and there's so much beauty. So much beauty and, and it's incredible. It's, it, it glorifies God, but there's also so much evil and darkness. Nightmares. And in this mess, this pigsty that we have made in our exiled condition, God is always calling us. He's the Father who runs towards us. He's always looking for us. He's beckoning us to return to Him. That's what that longing is for. It's a homing device to drive us back to Him. He calls us. And the way that we, one of the ways we feel that call, the main way I believe, is with this experience of Zinsukt. Longing for something we know not what. And it can come to us in a lot of different ways. It can come to you through the trees that are calling you. It can come to you through the scenes, the sunsets. It can come to you through the gentle voices of the sigh. It can come to you through the sunset on an ocean. It can come to you through beautiful music or beautiful literature or beautiful art or beautiful mythology. 
Things just create this hunger for reunion. As some of us know, the aging process can be a great occasion to intensify your zinsukt. There's something about the aging process. If you let it, now you, you can suppress this stuff because it's kind of painful. But if you do that, you're going to be destroying the best part of your humanity. But there's something about the aging experience where as you get older, you just, your life feels much more insignificant than you thought it would be. The dreams just didn't come through, and that creates its own sort of zingsukt. The aging body, the aches and the pains that you have. And then when you have to start saying goodbye to loved ones, it, can, it creates an awareness that this surely can't be everything. There must be more, and we long for that. And if we pay attention to that zingsuk, which is our, our truest indicator of what's going on in this world, it will lead us in the right direction. And the right direction, folks, is what we're celebrating here this morning. And now it starts to become an Easter sermon. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing. I, I could, and I have in the past, given dozens of arguments uh, historical arguments for the historical uh, for the resurrection as a historical fact, and I think that's important at least for some people. And if if you're in need of those kind of arguments, there's some books out in in the gathering area that I encourage you to pick up. Um, I, I think that's important stuff. But even apart from all the historical arguments, even apart from all that kind of scholarly debate, there's something about the resurrection story, the story of God becoming a human being, living the kind of life that Jesus lived dying on the cross, and then rising from the dead. There's something about the love that that story communicates that answers the zingsukt experience. It fills the vacuum in our heart. It rings true. And for a lot of people, that's enough to put their whole faith in it. It rings true. If we come to our senses and pay attention to our zingsukt, we all on some level know, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that something is wrong. We know that something important is missing. We know that we're in a state of exile. We feel somewhat alienated in this world. We can't just be the natural product of natural processes. We're alienated from our creator. On some level, we know there must be more. Our heart insists on it. On some level, we know that death can't possibly be the end. Life can't be that insignificant, that stupid, that trivial. As trivial as, as a mere scientific account of the world would, would, would tell you where everything's just going to end in a heat death, total blackness, equilibrium, nothingness. Surely that can't be it. This can't be one big cosmic joke like a little sneeze that meant nothing. No, there's got to be more. Our heart says there must be more. And the resurrection story is God's yes to that longing. God's yes to that experience. God's yes to that intuition. The whole story of Jesus coming down to earth is the story of God coming to rescue us. It's a story of God loving us to the point of wanting to end our exile, wanting to end our alienation from him. It's a story about a God who's willing to pay any price necessary to reconcile us to himself, to be reunited with us, and to share eternity with us. It's a story of God coming to fill the vacuum in our heart. And Jesus' death on the cross, which we celebrated magnificently or reflected on magnificently this last Friday, his death on the cross communicates the truth of who God is, reveals the true heart of God as he's giving his life for his enemies and it reveals the truth about who we are because he was willing to pay this price for us. And that act of love breaks the power of darkness and in principle ends the alienation that we have from our Father. And when Jesus rises from the dead, folks, that's God's way of saying, it is done. It is finished. It is complete. The work has been done. Jesus has been vindicated. 
That is the truth we long for. That is the truth we're created for. That's the truth we hunger for. That is the object, the true object of our zing soup. Everything we've been longing for is answered in him. We deflect it in a million different ways. We think, oh gosh, what I'm really longing for maybe is a bigger house or a nicer car or, or a better wife or a better husband or, 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 or something. And so we fill our life with all these toys which are nothing more than distractions from what the zing suit experience is really driving us towards. What is driving us towards is a relationship with God that brings resurrected life. What the resurrection means is that our longing, zing suit experience, is not some kind of neurotic fantasy in our brain. It is, in fact, as C.S. Lewis said, the truest indicator of our, of our real situation. What the resurrection means is that God has cleared the way for us to come home, and he's calling us home. What the resurrection means is that we are no more exiles if we'll simply accept his acceptance. We're no longer alienated from God. What, it, what the resurrection means is that our sins have, in fact, been paid for. What it means is that the power of darkness no longer have to have a hold on us. We can live free of them. What the resurrection means is that frustration doesn't have the last word. Longing doesn't have the last word. Death doesn't have the last word, praise God. The cancer report doesn't have the last word. The separation from a loved one doesn't have the last word. The aches and the pain don't have the last word. The evil and the suffering does not have the last word. The devil does not have the last word. God has the last word, and the last word is resurrection, eternal life, eternal joy that he came to bring us. That's why he created us. Amen. God has the last word, and it is told in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we will put our trust in that and live for that, we enter into the, the, the bliss, the, the joy that God created us to share. We still have that longing because we're not there yet. And that longing is itself a beautiful thing. It's our homing device to drive us to reunion with our Creator if we let it. The scary thing is that you don't have to let it. God does not manipulate people. You have a choice to make. Some people squelch that zing-sucked experience. If their world is, the worldview is, is that there is no God and, and all that exists is matter or something like that, well, then that experience is simply frustrating. Why go through it? It's just sort of painful. And so they just sort of suppress it from their mind. And you can do that to the point where maybe you don't even feel it any longer. But as I said before, I encourage you not to do that. Because when you do, if you do it your life and it dies, you've destroyed what is really the most profound aspect of what it is to be a human being. And according to the Bible, you forfeit the invitation to eternal life with God, your Creator. Don't suppress it. Rather, Pay attention to that. Explore that. Let yourself feel that yearning, that longing, that hunger. And then look to the resurrection and start making your way back home. Now, the way we do it is the way the prodigal son did it. First of all, you've got to come to your senses. You've got to realize what's going on in this world. You are in exile. And at some level, you know that. Admit it. Secondly, you need to acknowledge your part in that. We get exiled from God because of our own self-chosen sin. We alienate ourselves from God. Now, maybe you didn't do that consciously, but insofar as you've lived a life that's centered on yourself, that's living in alienation from God. That is sin, hamartia, missing the mark. So in response to that, do what the prodigal son did. Come to your senses and turn. The biblical word for that is repentance. It just means you turn around. You were living this way, now you're going to live this way. 
You were living a self-centered life where you just were kind of Lord of your own life and just asked, what do I want to do? You turn from that and now commit to living a life where you're saying, God, what do you want me to do? You live under the reign of God. You live in the love of God. The promise of the gospel is that then you can live by the power of God. You live a God-oriented, Christ-oriented life rather than a self-centered life. That's what the Bible means when it says we have to die to ourselves. You, you, you focus your life on, on Jesus Christ. It means you commit to doing God's will. If there are things that you're doing that you know are not God's will, well, then you turn from that. And if there are things that are God's will that you're not doing, well, then you start to cultivate that. And you don't have to know what all is involved in that when you're just starting. You just commit to doing it and commit to finding it out. I encourage you to commit to then asking him into your life and cultivating a relationship with him. The Bible says that when we open up our heart and say, I want to come home, boom, he's there. He fills your life with his life. And that longing, Zingsuk, doesn't go away until we celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And that's good to always remind us that there's more coming. But you'll find in the core of your being there can be a peace that passes understanding and a love that is incomprehensible and a joy that's unspeakable. The core of your being is satisfied. I encourage you then to start a relationship with him, which just means you talk to him. You can do that in special times in the morning, at night, or whenever, but also throughout the day. You just acknowledge his presence. He's always there. And talk to him. And then listen. And you'll find in time, he talks back in his own way. And you start a relationship there where you submit everything to his will. And I encourage you to get involved in the church. Get involved with other Christians. Uh, get a life that has significant relationships with others because we're meant to help one another live out this kingdom life. That is coming home. And when you've made that commitment, then just know this. Whether you feel anything different or not doesn't matter, but you got to know this. The Father has been looking at you from day one. As you've been longing for the Father, he's been longing much more for you. And when he sees your heart start to turn, he runs, not walks, he runs towards you. And right now he is embracing you. Even before you repent, even before the confession, the prodigal son never got it out. The father was already just smothering him in love. He's a God who runs towards us, a God who, who pursues us, a God who longs for us to the point of being willing to go to the cross. And then he rose from the dead. The resurrection means God is here, right here, right now, running towards you, embracing you, wanting to fill you. Will you let him? And so I'm going to end with a prayer. When I'm done, just know that the altar is open and if you want to come forward for any other prayer uh, or if you make a decision where you want to follow Jesus, want to find out more about it, come up here and talk to the folks that are up here, our, our prayer team, and they'll be glad to pray with you or help you out in other ways. But my prayer is simply that if you're not surrendered to him, you'll do it right now. There's nothing magical about this. It's not like you just purchase fire insurance or anything of the sort. You're just turning to live a different way. And to trust in him. It's not just about what you believe, by the way. A lot of people think that. Okay, I will now believe that Jesus is Lord. No, you need to believe that. But what's important is, do you, does that belief mean anything? Does it, in fact, impact your life? Are you willing to change and start moving in a different direction? So, Father, I thank you that you're a God who runs after us. You, you were running towards us when you became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And you were running towards us when you died on the cross. You're running towards us when you rose from the dead. And I just thank you, God, that you are a God of that kind of scandalous love. And right now, Lord, I pray through the power of your spirit that you'd open up every heart here to receive you more deeply than they ever have. And especially for folks who maybe are still living their own life. Lord, draw them. Increase 
intensify their Zingsucht. Communicate to them, Lord, that you are the object of all of their longings. You are the object of their dreams. You are what they've always been longing for. The beauty that goes beyond every kind of beauty. That water of life which satisfies us so we never need to thirst again. And Lord, help them then to commit to now coming under your reign and living according to your will and trusting in you for their wholeness now and forever. Do it, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, He is risen. God bless you guys. Go out and live in the resurrection power. The altar is open if you want to come forward.